The Sabbath is like an, a weekly acting out, a weekly saying, by this I am saying Christ is my rest. I'm saying He is my righteousness. The Sabbath that Jesus was observing was the last day of the week. The Sabbath that we are observing, just like today, is the first day of the week. So how did it go from the last day of the week to the first day of the week? I won't go through all these. You'll, you can read these on your own. But basically, five reasons here. Give us some pretty good reasons why the Christian Sabbath has always been the first day of the week and why it's right that the Christian Sabbath is the first day of the week. And those reasons have to do with what the New Testament tells us happens on the first day of the week. Jesus rose on the first day of the week. Every appearance that the risen Christ made was on the first day of the week. The, the church was created on the first day of the week. The Spirit was given to the church on the first day of the week. The uh, vision that John receives was given on the first day of the week. And on and on we could go. The uh, early church from the very beginning we see meets on the first day of the week. So the connection to the first day of the week is clear and plain and present. You'll, you can read those scriptures for your own. But just to kind of summarize all that, I just want to make a connection between the Christian day of rest being the first day of the week and the theological reason for that. Because God has given us an actual, an actually a reason why it is that we as, as Christians should have our day of rest on the first day of the week. So man was created on the sixth day. The first day that man existed was God's first day of rest. Isn't that interesting to think about? The first day that mankind existed was the first day of God's rest. And so from that point up until the church, from that point, man always looked backwards to God's rest. Man was always, or man was always looking back and then man was working toward that day of rest because as the week goes, the last day of the week is the day of rest. So man was always working towards the day of rest. They would work six days and then would come the day of rest. Now in the new covenant, under the new covenant, man is not working towards the day of rest. Instead, man is working out of God's day of rest. So you see the difference there. That's a, that's a profound theological difference there. That man is not working for our day of rest. Man is working out of the day of rest that God has observed. So the first day of the week, we start with the day of rest. And we, in a sense, all of this is spiritual. So in a spiritual sense, we are working out of God's rest, working from His rest, not for it, not towards it. It always annoys me. That doesn't, I hope it annoys you too. Those calendars that have that annoying way of putting Saturday and Sunday at the end of the week, that's not where it goes. Our day of rest is the first day of the week. Our week begins with the rest that God has accomplished for us. And our work, so to speak, comes out of that rest instead of into it. Okay, so we can think about that some more on another occasion, but we'll move on now. What I want to do now is just talk about what the Sabbath means to the New Testament Christian. What, did, what does the Christian Sabbath mean for us? And so I've got in your handout seven things that I, I see from the New Testament, from our pa passage here, as well as the New Testament as a whole, that the Sabbath means for the Christian. And there's more, 
But these are the seven that we'll talk about this morning in the next few minutes. So the first thing to see about the Christian Sabbath is this, that the question that we should ask ourselves is not, should we as believers observe the Sabbath? That's not the right question for, ask, for us to ask. Should we be Sabbath observers or should we be Sabbath keepers or not? The question for us to ask is not, should we observe the Sabbath, but what would it look like for the New Testament believer to be a Sabbath observer? What does it look like for the New Testament believer to be a Sabbath observer? Because Jesus never canceled the Sabbath. Some would say that Jesus put away, he abolished the Sabbath. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish any of God's laws. Jesus never abolished the Sabbath, but he certainly did abolish the abuse of the Sabbath. So what would it look like for the New Testament believer to be a Sabbath keeper? What should our day of rest look like? Should our day of rest look like maybe on one extreme, kind of like maybe something like it looked like 150 years ago, something more akin to what took place in Jesus's day? We've just switched the days from Saturday to Sunday and we just inserted Jesus into that. And it basically kind of looks like that. Is that what the Christian Sabbath should look like? Or are we right in so the, the habit of so many of uh, gatherings of God's people today to treat the Sabbath day, the day of rest, as just another day? In fact, the habit of some churches to meet, to have meetings that would accommodate people on, on say, a Saturday or a Saturday night instead of a Sunday. So what's right? Or is this something in the middle? How should the Christian understand this? Because again, this is no small commandment of God. This is a central foundational commandment of God. And God says in his word, you need to get this one right. So that's our endeavor to just get this one right. So first of all, the first thing that I want to say about how the Christian could, should keep the Sabbath is number one, Jesus has set us free from man-made religious obligations. So we read in the scriptures that God rested on the seventh day. And we know that based upon that, God says, you too are to rest. And here's the commandment to not work in ordinary work on the day of rest. And so we talked earlier about how around that just grew up this system of man-made laws and regulations. Now, the scriptures also teach us that sin always does one thing in particular. You know what that is? It enslaves us. Sin is always an enslaving agent. John chapter 8, Jesus says, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. So sin always enslaves the one who engages in the sin. However, that enslavement doesn't always take the same form. We shouldn't think narrowly about the enslavement of sin only in terms of like the drug addict that just has to get the, his next fix and he's enslaved to the drug or the young girl who has gotten trapped in a lifestyle of prostitution and just can't get out of it. We shouldn't only think of ens the enslaving quality of sin only in those terms. One of the most powerfully enslaving qualities of sin is how sin can use religious regulations to enslave the person who is entrapped by those regulations. That is one of the most powerful enslaving forces that sin has is to enslave the believer or the one who feels himself to be a believer 
to enslave them into this system of man-made religious observances. And this is what Jesus came to set us free from. You remember as Jesus begins his ministry, Luke chapter 4, he goes into the synagogue, opens up the Isaiah scroll to Isaiah 61 verse 1, and he says, the Spirit is upon me, he has anointed me to proclaim good news, to set the captives free. That was a big part of what Jesus came to set us free from. He came to set us free from this ridiculous system of burdens that had taken the day of rest and turned it into a day of nightmare. And he came to set us free from that. So we are not Sabbath observers when we go down the same path. The same path of legalism to say, well, this is what can be done and this is what can't be done on this day. That's the same path. So Jesus came to set us free from that. Secondly, Jesus has also worked on our behalf and through belief, we are commanded to enter the rest of our great liberator. Jesus is our great liberator. He came to set us free from the bondage to sin, but he's also done more than just set us free from bondage. He has also worked on our behalf. He has fulfilled on our behalf that which we couldn't do. He has lived the righteous life on our behalf. He has, now spiritually speaking, done our work for us and he has entered into his rest after doing his work. And by belief, by faith, we enter into his rest. His rest that he has entered into after completing his work. By faith, we enter into that rest. Take a look with me at Isaiah 40 verse 28. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. God doesn't need that seventh day. God's not tired. God doesn't have a body. This is anthropomorphism. It's just like when the, the scriptures will talk to us about the hand of God or the eye of God. God doesn't have a hand. God doesn't have an eye. But the scriptures will relate these truths to us in ways that we can grasp, in ways that we can perceive, ways that are like us, even though God is not like us. So in this way, we are told that God refreshed himself. God caught his breath. He rested when we know that God is not a God who requires rest. So all of this is teaching us the spiritual truth of the true work, which is the work that Jesus did on our behalf and entering into his rest, our faith, our belief, then enters us into his rest with him. The writer to the Hebrews makes all of that that I just said explicit in chapter four. Here's what he said. For we who have believed enter that rest. The context of Hebrews four, the writer just got done talking about the Hebrew children in the wilderness who didn't believe. And he just got done saying because of their unbelief, they didn't enter the rest. But by our faith, by our belief, we enter the rest of Christ. Verse 9, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains another one. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So there's another rest to come. That's the eternal Sabbath. The eternal rest that is stored up for us. But here in this life, in a spiritual sense, we enter into the rest of Christ because he has completed our work for us. 
He rests and we have this refreshing. So this, remember how God said two things for the Sabbath. Do not work and honor the Sabbath. So this is to be a day of both physical refreshing and spiritual refreshing. Spiritual rejuvenation, spiritual refreshment. Psalm 23, verses 2 and 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You hear it? He makes me rest. He tells me to rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So the purpose of the Sabbath is soul restoration. Restoring of the soul through the resting in Christ. And again, we're using spiritual, we're talking about spiritual realities, but we're using physical language for it. We rest in the work of Christ and have our souls restored. So you remember these words from Matthew's gospel. Everybody knows these words. Come unto me, come unto me, all ye who are weak and heavy laden, and I will do what? Give you rest. Okay? We know those words. Does anybody know the context of those words? We've said this many times before that you will be greatly helped if you teach yourself to have the habit of ignoring chapter divisions. You will begin to see connections that you don't see when the chapter divisions artificially obscure that for you. So what I just quoted is at the end of Matthew chapter 11. Come unto me, all ye who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am weak and my, I'm weak and lowly of heart. That's the very end of chapter 11. The beginning of chapter 12 are these two stories. See that? Those words of Jesus lead directly into Matthew's account of these exact two stories. So what Matthew is saying, he quotes Jesus, come unto me, I'm your rest, I'm your rest. Now let me tell you two stories of those who didn't find their rest in Christ. All the while Jesus is saying, I'm the rest, come unto me. We'll keep going with number three. The spirit of the Sabbath in both its old and new covenant expressions is to make one day of seven different from the other six by not engaging in regular work, but physically resting as a means of acting on faith while refreshing our soul in Christ. Now, that was a whole, that was a mouthful, wasn't it? So let me just break that down. The spirit of the Sabbath is this. The spirit of the Sabbath is to take one day in seven, purposely and intentionally make it different in order to intentionally engage in physical rest as a means of acting out our faith in our rest in Christ. You get the picture? You get the connection? You know how the Bible teaches us that what we do, we act out our faith. James 2 verse 18, we act out our faith. So we act out our faith not only by what we do, but we also act out our faith by resting. So the Sabbath is to be a day that we intentionally set aside to be different and to purposely engage in this refraining from regular work as an act of faith, showing that our faith is in the rest that Christ has achieved for us. You make the connection? Kind of like baptism is an acting out of salvation. The supper is an acting out of sanctification. So also the Sabbath is an acting out of resting in Christ, of trusting in Christ, of abiding in Christ, if you will. The Sabbath is like a weekly acting out 
a weekly saying, by this I am saying Christ is my rest. I'm saying He is my righteousness. I'm saying that my works will never get me there. I'm saying that the only hope I have is to rest in Him. And that's what I do. That's what I'm acting out by taking one day in seven and treating it differently than the other six. Number four, He is the Lord of the day. Therefore, the day must be decidedly about Him. That's what Jesus said plainly. I don't see how He could have been more plain than to say, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is my day. I'm Lord of it. So it seems that there would be no way that the Son of Man would be Lord of the Sabbath in our hearts if the day were not decidedly and purposely about Him. So that one day in seven that we are to treat as something different from the other six is to also be a day that is purposely and intentionally about Him. If you rest all day long, on that day of rest. And yet the day was not about Christ. You're a Sabbath breaker. That's plain and simple. You can rest all you want. You can take four naps. And if the day was not about Him, then you're a Sabbath violator. Because the day is to be decidedly about Him. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a, there it is, Sabbath. These things are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The actual Sabbath day is a shadow pointing to the substance. The substance is Christ. He is our rest. He is the one who has worked on our behalf and we enter into His rest by resting in Him. Number five, the Sabbath is ultimately a spiritual reality. Like other spiritual realities, it's evidenced in physical behaviors. But because of this, there is no place for quote-unquote Sabbath police. Isn't that not what Jesus is rebuking? The Sabbath police who are going around and saying, based on what I see, I can tell your heart. Based on what I see you doing or not doing, I can tell your heart. So because the Sabbath is a physical way of acting out a spiritual reality, there's no place for Sabbath police. There's no place for the New Testament church to be the ones who, oh, I don't know, drive up and down your neighborhood looking for everybody that's mowing their grass on Sunday and saying in your heart, well, they can't be real Christians. They're mowing their grass on Sunday. Jesus says there's no place for that. Because these are physical ways of acting out spiritual realities within you. So we see that there's no place for the Sabbath police. Instead, this is a matter of the, of the Christian conscience, of the Spirit-led conscience of the Christian freedom. For Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, once again, Therefore, Paul puts it rather plainly, Let no one pass judgment on you, on questions of food or drink, that's a whole message in itself, questions on food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon, there's another message, or here it is, or a Sabbath. Paul's pretty plain. Let no one pass judgment on you on matters relating to a Sabbath. Or he says to the Romans in chapter 14, verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. In other words, there's a group of Christians there in Rome 
And not everybody is treating the Sabbath in exactly the same ways, at least outwardly speaking. And so Paul says, don't pass judgment on what you see in terms of Sabbath observation on those around you. Instead, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Again, it's a matter of the Christian conscience. Now, number six, it is not legalism. Listen to this one carefully. It is not legalism to insist on being in the gathering of God's people unless providentially prevented. Let me say that again because it's important we get this one. It is not legalism to say that the Sabbath observation of God's people requires that if you are among God's people, unless you're providentially prevented, you are to be in the gathering of God's people. That's not legalism. Legalism is loving the rules above God. Legalism is putting the rules ahead of God. Legalism is treating the rules as if the rules were God. It's not legalism to say the Sabbath is about the Son of Man. And if you are part of the bride of the Son of Man, then it's really difficult to see how it is that your habit of treating the Sabbath as a day that you don't gather with God's people, it's hard to see how that's consistent with one who belongs to the bride and is observing that day of rest that's about Christ. So it's not legalism for us to say that unless providentially pre- prevented by things that come up in life, like, oh, I don't know, you got to work one day or there's a sickness or there's this that there's requires you to go out of town and do this or whatever, unless providentially prevented, then keeping the Sabbath means gathering with God's people unless providentially prevented. Now, the last one, number seven, Jesus did not lower the bar, he raised it. So let's talk about this one for a few minutes. We'll end here. Jesus did not lower the bar, Jesus raised the bar. So one of the mistakes that we can often easily make when we see how Jesus treats, for example, the treatment of the Sabbath, the observation of the Sabbath, one of the things that's easy to say is, well, Jesus sort of took all these rules and threw them out the window. And he just made everything a lot easier. Not so fast. Jesus, let me say it this way, neither Jesus nor the New Testament ever relaxed one command of God. All the commands of God, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, all of them, the New Testament and Jesus both, instead of relaxing them, if anything, They intensify them. Just think of the words of Jesus. Matthew 5, verse 48. You shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or Jesus will say, you know, you've heard it said not to murder. Well, I say to you, don't hate somebody in your heart. You've heard it said not to commit adultery. Well, I say to you, if you look at another woman with a lustful intent, you've committed adultery. You see how in each case, Jesus is taking the command of God and he's not lessening it. He's not lowering it. He's intensifying it. But Jesus does something other than just intensify the commands of God. Jesus keeps them for us. And here's the important part. Jesus takes every command of God He intensifies it. He keeps it for us. And then he says to us, abide in me so that by the power of the Spirit, you now live out what I did for you. That's the New Testament in a nutshell. That's the New Testament ethic in a nutshell. Jesus kept the law for you. 
And not just the simplified law that we might want to think of. Jesus kept it perfectly to the letter, to the iota, to the jot and tittle. And then he said to us, I kept this for you. Now abide in me. And by the power of my spirit, live out what I did for you. That's a radical, radically different take on the law in the New Testament, isn't it? But that's what Jesus teaches us. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to keep it on your behalf because you never could. You never could keep the first one. And I couldn't just sweep the law of God under the rug. So I came and did it for you. I became one of you to keep this law on your behalf. Romans 8, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For what the law could not do, Christ did. In the likeness of sinful flesh, He kept the law for you. And then He says to you, this gift of righteousness, I give this to you with the Spirit that comes and lives in you and says to you each and every day, live what Jesus did for you in His power. You see, the wrong question to ask about the Sabbath is what can I do on the Sabbath? Can I mow my grass on the Sabbath and still be a Christian? Can I go to a ball game on the Sabbath and still be a Christian? Can I engage in business transactions on the Sabbath and still be a Christian? Those are the wrong questions. Because quite frankly, they're very easy questions to answer. That's like making a list. Instead, the profoundly more difficult question to ask, did I rest in Christ on this day? Did I really, truly trust in Him this day? Did I really, truly forsake my works? Did I really, truly look to Him for my rest? Did I really, truly honor Him in this day? Did I really, in my heart, make this day about Him? Those are all the kinds of questions that as long as you don't hide behind halfway answers and cliches are profoundly harder than can I watch a ball game on Sunday afternoon? Or am I keeping the Sabbath by taking a nap and then watching the race? Profoundly harder is saying honestly in your heart, did I rest in Him today completely and fully? 